Hello, coaches, and welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Today, my guest is Sue J. Lama, the head women's coach at North Texas. He has a fascinating background, having lived in three continents and is fluent in four languages. He grew up in Nepal and earned a tennis scholarship to Luther College in 1988. Since then, he has coached some of the top WTA tour players at Grand Slam events, won national championships as an assistant coach at Florida, and now has 23 years head coaching experience at the University of Illinois and North Texas. In this podcast, we discuss what he learned from several mentors within the tennis industry, his thoughts on international recruiting, advice for younger coaches, and many other interesting topics. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sujay. Coach Sujay Lama, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. David, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's been been uh, a number of years, but uh, really nice to get caught up with you and and uh, learn from you today. So, lots of questions here for for you, as I do all the guests. I want to take you back to to some of your earlier days. So, you're the assistant coach at University of Florida for three years with Andy Brandy. Uh, you're also the head coach at the University of Illinois for eight years. So when you moved over to North Texas, did you believe that it'd just kind of be a short pit stop for you and, and then you'd be back in the power five kind of thing? Or uh, what were your thoughts when you when you started at North Texas? Dave, I was, you know, with a very open mind coming to North Texas here. I really, really had a great experience, you know, two, two great power five institutions in uh, Florida and Illinois. But coming here, I came with a really, really open mind and the one thing that was really, really important was for me to kind of start fresh here, you know, and to really build something that from the ground up, because I knew that I was coming to a team that really only had like three scholarship kids that were healthy. So I knew I need to come here and kind of start. So like my first year here, I remember I recruited five, you know, walk-ons from campus. We lost 19 straight matches, <laughs> you know. So really I came here, you know, because I saw a lot of potential, um, at that stage, I was 40, so I came with an open mind. And yeah, in the first couple of years, I must say first four or five years, I actually had some looks at some power fives, but uh, it's one of those things that, you know, all of a sudden you just feel so good about a situation where you go, wow, my quality of life has really enhanced by like 100%, you know, and, and there was something really special that was brewing over here. The community really took me over here, the administration. And so there were so many things that, just kind of clicked here. And so I'm so glad I actually had that opportunity, you know, with Florida to see what it was to go all the way to the top of the mountain and also at Illinois to kind of build a program from like 75 to like top 16 and go to several NCAs. And so that was a great experience, but building this program from ground up was special, you know, and, and really, I mean, I always say this last 16 years have been the best years of my life and my kids have grown here and, you know, this, this area has been just awesome for my family too. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast, Sujay, because I think a lot of young coaches, they assume that power five is, is the only direction, right? They want to be a, a head coach at a power five school and that's what they're aiming for. And, and it may not be a great fit for them and they may find that it's, it's overrated. Uh, I certainly did. And, and maybe you did a little bit as well as, as you've reflected on, and it sounds like that a bit. And, 
And so, yeah, I just want to encourage young coaches out there to, to really reflect on what it is they want. And same with assistant coaches. It doesn't mean you have to be a head coach. I mean, that's fine to be, you know, aim for that and strive for that. But maybe you find that you're better suited to be an assistant coach. And, and so I'm glad you, you shared that with us. But even even before, um, you know, your time as a, as a college coach, you were you know, working with a lot of pros on the WTA tour, um, you know, you're at the, the Vandermeer tennis center. What are some of the things that you learned coaching those players, uh, you know, learning from other coaches, maybe on the tour, the Vandermeer center that you now use to developing tennis players at the college level? Well, first of all, I mean, I think there was two qualities I had, I think when I was a young coach going there, I mean, you know, with uh, just a, you know, like, okay, openness, you know, what's this all about? So I think the two things I had was I was very, very positive and I was very, very passionate. So when I look back, I go, you know, I did not know a whole lot about coaching. I had played the game and of course I'd coached a little bit over, you know, summer and stuff like that. But as I was kind of getting into that was that I had the passion and I was extremely positive. And of course I had a great work ethic. So I think that gave me lot of opportunities and so I was very very fortunate that was exactly the time that the player development program um, had started over there and so there were a lot of great junior players and uh, you know a lot of great professionals especially the women that were coming through over there so uh, you know and I got really lucky with a lot of great players and then the next thing I realized I was with Amanda Kotzer you know and I started traveling you know from you know, smaller tournaments to all the Grand Slams. So I was really, really fortunate to do 14 Grand Slams, 10 of them with Amanda and a bunch of the other kids. Um, but I think one thing that I think I learned early on was that, look, for everybody, you know, development is different. You know, you cannot just go with, okay, this works with this person. And so this has to work with somebody else. So I think that was one of the number one things I, I learned was like, you know, because I had a, um, a player, Naoko Salmatsu, she practiced really literally hour, hour 15, but it was incredibly intense. And then Mercedes Paz from Argentina, who is now the Fed Cup captain for Argentina, I traveled with her. I mean, she needed to like hit like four or five hours a day, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that was number one, I think was, uh, you know, learning that everybody's different. And so you've got to make sure that, you know, you have an idea of development, which is catered to each individual. Um, and secondly, I think I came in the era when I was traveling out there, you know, where fitness, you know, and nutrition was starting to kind of kick in. And I think the biggest wake up call for me was when I was at Newport, you know, and at that time, Martina Navratilova was playing. And so I was in that tournament and I saw her play a match. And then later on, like literally like about 45 minutes later, I was in the gym and here she was lifting some weights, you know, and I was like, wow. And so I think, you know, this, just the way that the, 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 the tour was evolving and how, you know, um, the professionals were like really into their fitness and nutrition. I think that was also a huge eye opener for me too. Mm. So how do you apply kind of the individual needs of each player now within your program? Because that, that's often a hard 
line for coaches, right? You know, one player maybe needs something a little bit less and, you know, they would actually one hour of intense practice might be better than, than two and a half hours. But then the other players are like, well, she only has to practice for an hour. Why do I have to do two and a half hours? And so how have you worked over the years to try and give the players what they need individually, but also maintain that team cohesion? Yeah, I think being innovative is very important. I think that's where now, if I look at our practices, it's so different. Like, for example, this morning, you know, we had four kids that came for practice, you know, three come a little bit later in the afternoon. And some of our practices are now where there's only two people that's coming. So I think that's one thing. Two is, I think for me, is really having the right support staff. So I have now, you know, two coaches in my staff. I have a volunteer coach full-time volunteer coach, you know, for the whole year. And I've got a full-time assistant coach. And then, of course, a really, really good strength and conditioning coach. So I think it all comes down to, like, communicating with them on a day-to-day basis and also seeing the needs of the individuals too because there's different levels of players here and different levels of expectations they have and what they want to accomplish too. So I think it's a constant, you know, communication uh, with the staff, with the player, And then also having a gauge on where they are physically too and what part of the season you are. So I think, again, being innovative is key because, you know, there were days as a head coach, I mean, I used to have the same practice where everybody's coming and you're trying to accomplish something. That really for me, and when I look back now, is like if you really want to develop the players, you know, where the development is going to come is more on that one-on-one basis then on that group setting, yes, you can accomplish a, a bunch of things, you know, when you have the eight people out there or six people out there. But I think where real development takes place is a little bit more the individualized sessions, whether it's a small group or the, just the one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, going back now to your, your early days as a college coach at, at Florida, I mentioned you, you worked with Andy Brandy there, you won two NCAA team championships, three SEC titles in your three years at Florida, which is amazing. And uh, I'm interested to know, what did you learn from Andy at that time that, again, you still apply to this day? Wow, <laughs> that's a loaded question, right? There's so much, you know, you gain from somebody like Andy. I mean, it was uh, amazing. I have a great relationship even now. I mean, we share the same birthday. So we always, uh, of course, talk once a year for sure on the 17th of August. But uh, I have amazing respect for Andy. I think one is just the work ethic. I mean, you know, Andy was the kind of coach that came at six o'clock in the morning, you know, every morning at six o'clock. I think the consistency of the work, I think that was uh, amazing. The passion that he had for the game. And then also he was a developmental coach. And um, so, you know, I always say, you know, it's not what you do, but how you do it. And I think for me, when I look back at, you know, my time with Andy, I mean, he put a lot of time on the court one-on-one and he was the kind of, you know, coach that, like he would do like one drill, like for example, let's say wide out to the forehand, you know, for a balance. You know, he's he's the kind of coach that he did that like maybe for 30 straight minutes, just one thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I think in this day and age, everybody is like, hey, I want to do two minutes of this and I'm bored and I want to do something else, mm-hmm. you know. And so 
um, the uh, the lack the, the the lack of attention of details, right? That that takes place because we want to get to the next one. I think with Andy it was like, okay, attention to detail, and then you know what? If it's a boring deal, no matter what, we're gonna do this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was Andy, a uh, straight shooter. You know, uh, Andy. I mean, was what you saw, what you what you got. Whether it's talking to the recruit, talking to the players, I really always felt like, or, or talking to me, you know, he was a straight shooter and he was always very honest, upfront. And then also, you know, communication with me, I, I can tell you a good story. We are playing Texas at that time. Texas was like, I think, top three uh, program. And here's a match at Florida. There's about a thousand people watching. And, you know, we had a disagreement about coaching somebody on the court and he calls me and I'm following him. I, I'm thinking it's going to be behind the fence, something. And, and I'm following him. He takes me all the way to the office. He opens the door. Match is still going on. Five minutes, we go, go at it. We open the door. We come back. We win the match. The next day is like, Sujay, you know, lunch is on me. <laughs> so uh, just a great, you know, just a great, a great guy to work with. And again, I mean, I can go on and on about, you know, so many things I learned, but I think just his um, honesty and, and just the work ethic. Very good. And then, you know, you started then at the University of Illinois and, and you were there. I'm not sure how many years you were there uh, at the same time as Craig Tiley. And, and interested to, you know, obviously most of us in the tennis industry now know who Craig is and, and kind of got a start, uh, you know, at the University of Illinois, or at least that where he became a little bit more well known and is now leading Tennis Australia and the Australian Open. But what were there some things that you learned just observing Craig and, and how he went about his business on a daily basis and, and maybe some things you may have learned from him? Yeah, I think uh, when I think about Craig was he's a visionary, you know, always he was always like I felt like ahead of <laughs> ahead of the game, you know, and 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 just so many like ideas outside the box. He was always coming outside the box. How do we get more fans? You know, how do we do a summer camp? You know, how do we uh, make a schedule that is like, you know, catered for people who want to be pros. And so I always felt like that was one of one of the great things about Craig was just he was a visionary, always looking, you know, looking always forward and also a great relationship builder. He was a communicator, you know, and, and of course, I mean, he was a work colleague. You know, if you knew Craig, I mean, you are seeing emails that were coming at 4 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. So, uh, you know, he just had an amazing way to communicate with his players, um, with, uh, with the alumni, uh, with, the, the, with the fans, you know, uh, with colleagues. Um, yeah, and then um, just again, those, uh, you know, uh, the one-on-one -on -one player development, you know, so many times, like I would see him at 7 a.m. with uh, Kevin Anderson, you know, uh, like I think I, I think every morning, like around 7 a.m. when Kevin was around, I mean, I saw Kevin working on a forehand or the serve, you know, um, just the, I think that passion that he had, you know, to really develop players and then, and believing that, hey, you know what? we can produce, you know, a national championship team here. And that was unheard of. I mean, a Midwest team at that time, nobody thought a Midwest team was going to win a national championship. Um, and, and then belief that, hey, you know what, we can use, you know, college as a pathway to professional tennis. And, you know, proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, Rajiv Ram, you know, Amir Delic, all those guys, I was so fortunate to be around, you know, when, when they were at Illinois. Mm. 
And when you talk about communication, again, do you, you know, as you speak to younger coaches as well and try and mentor younger coaches, I mean, is that skill, is that, is that God given? Is that something that uh, Craig actively worked on and uh, crafted and improved upon? Because we think so, so much, you know, as a college coach, coming into the industry, you think it's about development, right? And, and player development and, and uh, bringing a team together and things like that. But you, you maybe fail to realize just how important those communication skills are with, with recruits, with parents of recruits, with coaches of recruits, then donors, alumni, athletic administration. It, it seems to always come back to communication. And, and how would you encourage a young coach to maybe work on their communication skills, uh, develop self-awareness around that, where are they getting themselves in trouble, where are they maybe not putting themselves out there enough? Um, how have you maybe worked on developing your communication skills? I think, you know, being calm and having clarity, you know, so when I look at, you know, Craig, I think those two attributes he had, he was always very, very calm and he listened, you know, more than he talked. And when he talked, you know, there was clarity to what you were saying. And I also remember, you know, I, I remember Craig telling me always, hey, you know, good coaching is, you know, go out there and copy good coaches, you know, I mean, see what you can, you know, learn, you know, and put that, implement what you learn and make it your own. And so he was big on, you know, looking around and what is other people doing and what's what's working for other people. And he never hesitated to like bring that to you know, so I've always kind of, that's one thing that I've always kind of thought about is like, okay, hey, what can I learn from this coach? So when I go to an academy or when I go out there and see a coach, I'm always thinking, you know, hey, what can I steal? You know, steal good ideas and make it your own. So, no, I think just, yeah, he just had that amazing, you know, just calmness, you know, and 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 clarity, you know, and he always, it, it always said, made sense what he said. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh it can be a lost art at times, right? Especially in today's world when everybody's uh, trying to shout out over each other. And um, I guess, uh, you know, maybe even take camps uh, or take positions and not having been willing to change their mind and not listening to the other side. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah. And one more thing I would add would be, I think one thing that, you know, has helped me over the over the years is like, you know, and I've learned this because as a young coach, I think it's easier. I think, you know, do not communicate when you are emotional <laughs> mm -hmm. because whether it's with your team, whether it's with a recruit, whether it's with the recruit's parents or with the administration, I think just to really always to make sure that, you know, if you are feeling emotional to kind of give it a, give it a night, you know, give it a day, you know, you don't have to right away reply to an email. You don't have to right away text somebody. I think, that's where the mistakes are made is when you are emotional, you know, and then sometimes you, you give it a day and you see the same thing differently. And so I think it's so important, you know, to be calm and collected, just like what we tell our players, you know, under pressure, stay calm, go back to your routines. That's your anchor. I think those are things that help us communicate better too. Yeah. Excellent. And so, Sujay, if my calculations are right, you've been coaching the women's college game for 26 years now? Yes, uh, that is 26 years uh, at the collegiate level and four years uh, when, I, when you count the four years I travel on the tour and, and right. 
worked with Vandermeers. Yes, that's like 30 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 30 years really coaching on, on, on the women's side and, and really um, I've become a, a true expert in uh, as a male coaching females, right? And, and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's something that, um, again, as, as a young male coach starting out, you can have all these great ideas and, and uh, think you know uh, what it is um, to coach well, not just women but men be be very clear you know uh, be very confident or maybe overconfident um, but what advice would you have for male coaches especially young male coaches getting started in this industry coaching women yeah I think the key here is building the trust and trust comes from communication so and and everybody has a different way to communicate right but with women, I think it's all about, you know, building the trust. And I think one of the ways that you build trust is by listening more than talking. So even if nowadays I go to a team meeting, I don't, you know, right away tell them what I want to tell them. I ask questions. I think asking questions and, and really being able to also try to, you know, figure out where they are in their life, where they are in that day, you know, it, you know, women are emotional and, and so are men, but you know, I think to read emotions is very important and, and connecting and, and building the trust. Because I always say, once you build their trust, I mean, they are gonna be ready to run through the wall for you. Um, and then I think the last couple of years, I think I really realized to also, as a male coach, to be able to have a staff, you know, uh, is a, a team that is well balanced. And so, like this year, for example, you know. And this was a work in progress, but I finally am able to put together a volunteer coach that is female. I have a full-time now, a trainer, athletic trainer, that's a female. I have a nutritionist that's a, that's a female, you know, I have a sports psychologist. So that balances uh, me and, and coach Rodrigo, who is my assistant coach. So I think it's very important to have that balance because um, then you, you understand them better. You know, so the key again is understanding, connecting, um, and then gaining their trust. And if you do that, I think, you know, you've got a chance to really, really do something with them. Mm. And uh, any, anything on court um, that you, you've learned through the years that, you know, or does it just come back to that trust and communication and, and working through those things on the court, but any, anything from a de player development standpoint that, uh, you can think of that maybe has worked better with with women than 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 men. Yeah, I think uh, if I look at my own career, I think if I look at my last ten years versus my you know first whatever years, I think it's more you know more holistic. I think it's more inside out coaching versus outside in. You know, and so I think I've really realized that the power of our words and you know and how we coach. Uh, and, and I think that, again, you know, everybody's different. And again, you know, and when we have kids from all over the world, different parts of the world, I think also there's also cultural things that, you know, you have to be, uh, you know, keep that in mind, too. But um, for me, I, I believe that um, it's very, very important that that you really, really are aware of your words. <laughs> and how you, you know, convey those, you know, intentions is one thing, you know, but the effect is, is, is different, right? So a lot of times the intent is good. You know, we have this great intention, you know, and then also, you know, it's a constant, you know, okay, when do I bring the 
bring the whip out you know when do i you know uh when do i just say hey let's 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 have a cup of coffee and then and talk about this you know and i think mm-hmm. uh, there's different ways and the key again here is you know again getting that trust you know do they really trust you do they really trust that you really care for them i think that's the most important thing with these athletes um is if they know that you really care and if they also they buy into what you're trying to do you know you can have this amazing idea hey i can really help you with your game take your game to the next level i'm going to work on your transition game and this is what i'm going to do but if they really don't buy into it no matter what drill you do no matter what kind of you know things you're going to try to do out there what kind of gadgets you're going to bring it's not going to be effective mm. ultimately they're going to trust you okay great sujay um you know, I want to move over to international recruiting. So at Division One, I, I believe 60% of student athletes are international. Division two, I think it's 50%. Uh, Division three, I think it's only 3%. Junior college, NAIA, I'm actually not quite sure. I'd, I'd imagine it's closer to Division One, Division two uh, statistics. You're a former international uh, college tennis player, so am I. Uh, you've done a great job recruiting international student players through the years to, to make your program as successful as it has been. Do you have any advice, um, maybe more so for the American coaches coaching or recruiting internationally? Is there any mistakes you think that they might be making in terms of trying to connect or, or uh, re- recruit or, or, I guess, sell to, to these international recruits or, or any advice that you have around international recruiting in general? Well, I think the first thing that now comes to mind is that, you know, unfortunately, I, I believe that, you know, you know, it's a business now, you know, and, and unfortunately, there's so many <laughs> uh, agencies out there. And, and yeah, I mean, there's some really good agencies too, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it's become a money-making machine. And so, um, and, and, you know, and, and a lot of times I think they have a pecking order too, where they want to send their kids to, I think. So I, right. I really, um, you know, I think it's very, very important that, you know, when you're recruiting internationally that to do your homework, to do your research, you know, and to know that it's become a business. And, uh, you know, like I like we, you know, we recruit Americans, we recruit, Amer- you know, international, we have to, I mean, we want to be competitive, but we always start here in Texas and, and then look at the States and then go all over the world. But uh, for me, I think that's one thing that I feel like, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, I, I really feel like, you know, there are a lot of international kids that are coming here that, you know, are really good, but there are also a lot of international kids that are really, really, their, their level is not really, you know, uh, that much better or, you know, could be also inferior to a lot of the kids I go to here tournaments in Texas and I, I go to some some of the super champ tournaments here that I go wow you know there are like seven and eight UTRs and that could play at a lot of places and then then I look at I go to a tournament you know just a couple of weeks I, I went to a tournament college tournament then I go I'd see international kids out there that are like like sixes and fives you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, so I think that one is you know really I think when you are you know connecting with the agencies to really to do your research and do your homework, you know, and, and um, the other mistake that happens, and I'm sure David, you know, you, you know, this is, it, it's it, so competitive. I think sometimes we start panicking, 
mm-hmm. you know, when, when we have our, you know, top five choices and all of a sudden, you know, you don't get them, you know, now you've got three scholarships. And, and I think a lot of times it's easy to panic and make a mistake. And we all have made that mistake. So I think uh, just making sure that, you know, not panicking and, and to really kind of hold off, which is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, I think that's really, really important. And the third thing I think is that so much of the international recruiting, um, we don't get to see them play. And, um, and so, you know, when you look at videos and even some results, you don't really know how do they really, really uh, behave under pressure because really tennis is really, it's all about hitting targets under pressure, right? Everybody looks great. And so um, it's very, you know, a uh, very important part of the evaluation, you know, and so like, how can you, you know, actually really watch an entire match, you know, how can you kind of get a feel? And, you know, I think, so that's important. And, and if there's an opportunity to go and, and see them compete a couple of times, of course, that would be the ideal situation. But now with um, live feeds and stuff like that, I think to, to really watch A to Z, not just watch footages and highlights, but to really spend time um, watching the entire match. And, and that way you really get a chance to see their character because that's what we are looking at ultimately is looking at, do they have the character under pressure? Can mm-hmm. they hold under pressure? Can they deliver? Because that's what happens when they come off, there's pressure and people are folding left, right, and center. Yeah. No, I love the way you put that, hitting targets under pressure. That's, that's a great way to put it. I haven't heard it that way, but you're right. Can you hit those targets when when it really matters. Um, and then just around recruiting as well. So with your four years or so on, on the tour, you obviously met a lot of people internationally, uh, kind of probably who's who within the, the tennis industry at that time. How have you maybe maintained those relationships, cultivated those relationships uh, through the years, through the decades, really? And, and how would you encourage other coaches to kind of develop and, and curate, uh, you know, a, a pool of, of connections internationally and then maintaining that as, as they, you know, extend their careers as a college coach? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's again, there's no simple answer. You know, I'm a communicator and I, and I love relationships, you know, I love friendships. And so for me, you know, it's, you know, day, it's a day to day, day, day to day thing, you know, it's, you know, sending the text messages, you know, sending the emails, making a phone call, you know, I go to US Open, not just to recruit, but actually, I get to see a lot of people that I know for from so many years. Mm. Um, you know, and also, I'm always also very big on, you know, sending cards, uh, you know, personalized cards nowadays. I mean, that's like, you know, a lot of people, when they get something that's written, it's a whole lot different. Like even like when we go to tournaments, you know, I always make sure we come back and, and, and we write a handwritten note and every kid writes, a, you know, signs it and writes something. And then I always send them. And so whenever I get these coaches, you know, they'll meet me in regionals. They go, hey, thank you so much. That was so nice of you, you know? So I'm big on that. I always, you know, make sure that I have a bunch of cards out here that I'm sending. But um, no, it's really connecting. And one thing I also like to do, um, Dave, is that, you know, people that are close to me, I always start the morning sending a little motivational. You know, it starts with my team, with my kids, a group of friends. And so there are people that I send that, you know, and and, um, WhatsApp is a great way to get things done, send a videos. And, and I, I love that, you know, I, I really, I, I like making 
people feel good and and when they really truly know that you are genuinely you know trying to make a difference in a positive way um and it, it has nothing to do with recruiting at that time maybe you know yep. when they see that consistency that you do i think that they also say hey you know what you should look at this guy and this program you know so it's again relationships mm-hmm. okay suje we're going to move into some of these rapid fire questions so what is the best piece of advice you've received from anyone in your life it, it doesn't necessarily have to be tennis related my mom <laughs> my mom she gave me three before i left nepal many many years ago and she kind of knew that i pr- probably once i go probably i won't come back you know mm-hmm. but uh, you know happiness is a state of mind I love that. She always said happiness is a state of mind. The more you give, the more you receive. Simple living, high thinking. Those are the three things my mom said to us all the time. And and you know when I look at my life, I've lived in Germany, I've lived in India, Iowa, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, you know, wherever I go, I'm happy, man. I mean, and I I feel so blessed. I truly feel so blessed to do what we do. I mean, you know, and um you know it's so easy we talk about this to our kids too always like you know human beings uh, you know we always look around and we go and well that's grass is greener on the other side i've never been that way you know you have to find your nirvana you have to find your happiness within you know and then if you come wake up in the morning and you are excited to go to work and make a difference in people's lives you know you're going to be happy you know but if you keep craving for something that that desire is what creates unhappiness you know so yeah those 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 uh, sayings from my mom definitely helped a lot no oh, i i definitely know you embody those things sujay so you're you're very consistent with those things i guess when i was at northwestern you were at illinois so a couple hours apart there and then i was at oklahoma you were at north texas again just a few hours apart but every time i I see you you're always positive you're always happy and and no doubt uh yeah you took that advice to heart for sure and you're applying it so uh it's a pleasure to be around people like that so keep it up thank you is Man, there a, a book podcast article passage poem that's influenced you in your journey yeah i think two books you know i uh, the prophet uh, i don't know if you've read that one kahil gibran so it's uh it's stuck with me you know and a lot of times like when i when i want to give somebody a gift you know that's the first one i'm like that's the one that was so awesome so get a copy of that i mean it's beautiful um and then tennis wise i will tell you winning ugly brad gilbert and i guess you know uh, what resonated was because as i was reading those re- re- reading uh, winning ugly you know it's like that's how i won <laughs> you know that's <laughs> how i figured out you know how to be a good player you know and and i didn't you know like i have a son who is playing at a high level now and 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 he's got these big shots and all that i didn't have all of that so like i you know in my own way figured out you know to win matches and 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 you know and slowly i mean i even get became top 50 in the world in you know in juniors and i was like you know and i i go back oh, how did i get there you know <laughs> it's because you know i found different ways to win so like when i read brad's book you know the first time i read i'm going man this is awesome and so now you know it's a requirement for my teams they better read winning ugly you know and and we have discussions about it and and uh, and it's a classic so yeah i highly recommend winning ugly okay what is your favorite part about being a college tennis coach 
Wow, that's uh, yeah, so many, right? So many. I love the schedule. You know, I love the schedule. I love having that summer and and in a in a good chunk of time in the winter. Relationships, you know. Ultimately, when you look at you know this this amazing journey, it's the relationship. I just got a message from uh, Lisa Puglisi. You know, they are doing a twenty five year reunion at Florida. You know, we are still connected with Don Booth and Stephanie Nikitas and Jill Krabus was doing a Zoom call with us uh, with my team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the relationships, again, Jenny McAffigan, Mommy Q at Illinois. I mean, just so many of them. I think the relationship is so, so important. And uh, yeah, what else? Uh, so the other thing I love about this job is it's so multidimensional, right? I mean, it's never a boring moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do recruiting, you coach, you do motivating, you know, I mean, you're with like, Right now, I mean, for example, you know, um, North Texas is now moved to American conference. And so yep. tonight I get to go and, 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 you know, meet the donors, you know, we're having a big celebration. So I get to hang out with, you know, the donors and, and some of the alums that are coming over. I mean, so it's so multidimensional. There's never a boring moment, you know, and, and uh, I like that. You know, I like the individual meetings. I like the team meetings. I like the team practices. I like the individual sessions with them. Um, you don't get that anywhere. I mean, you think about it, you don't get that. I mean, it's awesome. I get to travel, you know, uh, recruiting wise, um, just keep meeting people from all over the world. I mean, so it's just, there's not, never a boring moment in this job. Mm. And so if you could sit down with, with uh, Sujay 15 years ago, getting started at North Texas, what, what would you tell that Sujay and why? Yeah, I would say focus on building that staff around you, you know, making sure that, I, that you really have like this team. So I, I, you know, I always talk about this team now. And so I think when you are a little bit younger, you know, ambitious, sometimes you want to do everything yourself. And really this job, you can't do really a great job if you're trying to do everything. And so you find a great assistant coach. I think that's been one of the things that I've been very lucky is over the years, I've had amazing assistant coach. Joanne Russell was with me for eight years. You know, Jeff Marin now at Liberty, you know, his head coach, he was here for five years. Coach Hammond, who was a head coach at TCU, was with me for five years. I mean, now Coach Rodrigo is doing a great job. So I think that it's so important to have the right team, you know, Find a great sports psychologist that does not just sports psychology, but also team building. Um, make sure that, you know, you are involved in the hiring of a good trainer, a good strength coach. You know, you have a say because, you know, you need that core group. If you have a great core group that you really trust, that they all are invested, they really care about your kids, they all want to do well. Um, and then you have a great communication system and there's accountability uh, then you really, it's a smooth selling, you know, but if you are disjointed, which is so easy because life is so fast in college world, it's so easy to be disjointed. So I think having that team is important. And I have, you know, bi-weekly staff meeting and I, I bring lunch here, you know, I make it everybody that comes there for, you know, an hour and we're eating and we're talking and we're talking about every player, you know, where they are, what they can do better, you know, and, and, if there are disciplinary pro- problems, to be everybody on the same page, documenting, you know, everything that we are doing, mm-hmm. if there's issues. So, um, and that's important. And, and I think that's one thing for the young coaches, I would say is, you know, documentation, 
and making sure that you know you are not saying okay i'll wait for this meeting until you know two weeks from now if things are happening document make sure somebody's there with you um and having a progression because number one that's you know going to help you number two it's going to protect you and number three it's the fair way to do it and being being um upfront you know mm-hmm. um with the team to where you stand with everybody very good and what is one new idea or change you've made in your program this season and why Wow. So it started with the retreat. I've never had a staff retreat ever. <laughs> so I saw the basketball teams having a staff retreat and I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. So, and in the summer, you know, we, um, um, you know, we even did a project with the team. We, we read a book and I think it was um, uh, my assistant who came with this idea. I said, Hey, you know what? Yale, I think uh, Princeton, one of the teams, read this book uh, about the dysfunctions of a team. And why don't we read this uh, together as a team? And, and, um, and then, you know, this will be a really a nice prelude to what will happen maybe in the season. And so we had, uh, you know, uh, monthly uh, Zoom meetings and we had, um, you know, different team members, you know, work together to do a presentation on a, on a chapter and things like that. So um, that was unique. I think, you know, having that, that preparation, you know, with the staff and with the team and coming into the season, I think that was kind of different because now as we are maneuvering through the season, you know, we are, we are having, you know, we are they're going, oh, wow, that's what we learned, right? And now, <laughs> hey, look, that, that's what we learned. Now, this is how we tackle that. And this is, you know, this is important. So I think, again, preparation, right, Dave? I mean, I think that's the key is, is preparation, you know, and, and so that was, a, that was a little different way to prepare for a season, you know? Mm, cool. And then is there one drill that you do regularly with your team that you believe has, you know, an impact on, on their development or maybe just uh, something they enjoy doing at practice and, and livens up the spirits a little bit? Yeah, look, I mean, transition shot, right? I mean, so like everybody, you know, spends so much time on the baseline. They'll come to the net for the volleys or has, but how many times, you know, are we doing transition shots? So I think the two games that we do play often is dingles, you know, where, mm-hmm. I think you know what Dingles is. I think everybody yep. knows what Dingles is, right? So, but I encourage during the Dingles rally that they actually can come forward, you know? And so we actually give more points when when there are two people at the net winning points. So I think that is a fun game. And it's also a good way to start like cross-court rallies, right? People want to hit, you know, especially girls like to hit a lot of balls cross-court. So Dingles will never fail. <laughs> it's fun, it's energetic. And then we call Shankles the other one where you, you know, where you have to win three points to, you know, uh, come, come to the side where you are the queen of the court, right? Where, so you hit a, you know, you know, throw a short ball, they come in and, and they win the point. They, they stay, they get a volley, they win that, they throw overhead. And, you know, I'm big on transition because I feel like, you know, that's the third most important shot in tennis, you know, after, after serve and return, it's the transition shot. Everybody can hit the forehand and back. And so, yeah, I love transition games and, and uh, yeah, those two are really popular. Okay. Well, Sujay, I think we did it. Thank you so much for all your advice and wisdom today. I thought this was great. So uh, look forward to getting it out to our coaches. Dave, appreciate it a lot. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Sujay as much as I did. Just a couple of quick reminders. Firstly, the ITA College Tennis Coaches Convention is in Las Vegas this year from December 3rd to 6th. If you plan on registering, try to do so before November 9th because 
that is when our room block ends and you won't be able to take advantage of the great preferred rate. So try and do that as soon as possible. And also, if you could share www.tennisforamerica.com with your seniors and your recently graduated alumni, I'd greatly appreciate it. This is the year of service program that the ITA has been conducting over the last few years and would love to get some great applicants this year to start next summer. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next podcast.